This is Gabriella Zuccarelli, and you're listening to IP Fridays. Hello, and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more. Welcome to episode 86 of IP Fridays. Today's interview guest is Gabriella Ciccarelli, and we hear everything about emoji law, so law about the emojis. Before we jump into the interview, I have some news for you. Is Google Generic, is the trademark Google Generic? David Elliott and Chris Gillespie filed a petition with the Supreme Court to cancel the trademark Google for being a generic term for searching on the internet. They have registered domain names like googledisney.com or googlebarackobama.com and have faced a resistance from Google, of course. And now the Supreme Court has to decide whether Google is a generic verb for searching on the internet. Thailand has joined the Madrid system. So Thailand is the 99th member of the international trademark system. And so you can have a basic trademark in your home country, like a US trademark or a German trademark or a EU trademark, and then file an international registration and, can, and you can now designate Thailand together with many, many other countries. The European Patent Office has published the first edition of the Unitary Patent Guide. The guide begins with a practical overview of the whole unitary patent system and gives practical advice how to deal with uh, certain aspects of the unitary patent system. In addition, the guide is noting the following in relation to the United Kingdom. The Brexit will not lead to a loss of patent protection in the United Kingdom for unitary patent proprietors. Appropriate solutions that avoid any loss of rights or legal uncertainty can be expected. Now, let's jump into the interview with Gabriella Ziccarelli. Ralph, our guest today on IP Fridays is Gabriella Ziccarelli. Gabriella is an attorney with the law firm of Blank Rome and is based in their Washington, D.C. office, where she practices intellectual property law. Gabriella has experience in working at several high-technology companies in Silicon Valley, and prior to working in private practice, she was a volunteer law clerk to Honorable Magistrate Judge Paul S. Gruel of the Northern District of California. Gabriella is a member of the advisory board for SeedSpot DC, where she is a start, which is a startup accelerator for entrepreneurs. In 2017, Gabriella was named a rising star by Washington DC Super Lawyers. She holds a BA from the University of Arizona and a JD from Santa Clara University School of Law. Welcome, Gabriella, to IP Fridays. Thanks so much for having me. Gabriella, we've been hearing a lot about emojis these days. There's even a movie about it uh, coming out soon. Uh, first question to you is, why should we care about emojis and all of these non-text-based communications? Absolutely. So because as a society, we are increasing how we communicate in a non-verbal way. So instead of using normal text-based messages, we're relying on emoji, on 
bitmoji on all kinds of uh, GIFs and other images, it's important that we think about what impact this might have on evidence in the legal world. And traditionally, when we're putting together a lawsuit in a case and we're building it factually, we take a look at how two parties interacted. Oftentimes, that is an email dump or some sort of collection of text messages. But as we continue to use emoji to communicate with other people, this is going to become prime evidence. And emoji, unlike words where we have a clear-cut definition one way or another of what a word means, an emoji is subject to a variety of interpretations. There's often a subjective intent that comes along with emoji usage. And there are a variety of ways to interpret an emoji based upon everything from gender to race uh, to maybe perhaps an inside joke between a friend group. And so we're going to see a lot of interesting developments happening in this space using emoji as evidence. Interesting. So what kind of cases are we seeing emojis in? Can you give our listeners a bit of a background? Sure. So historically, we're first and foremost seeing a lot of cases with emoticons, so the precursor to emoji. And emoticons use traditional uh, text-based um, portions of communications with a colon or uh, parentheses for a smiley face, for example, um, to emote in some way. And, you know, those give us an indication of where we might see emoji coming into play later on. So for the emoticon cases, they're often coming up in the criminal context, getting a sense of the sender's intent. And oftentimes it's coming up in harassment cases um, or perhaps where we're trying to get a sense of whether someone truly had ill will in committing a crime. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of actual emoji cases... Um, it's coming up in contexts that perhaps we hadn't anticipated. So, for example, there was a recent case um, coming out of an Israeli court where parties were discussing whether or not a particular individual wanted to rent an apartment. And there were text messages back and forth, and the landlord uh, had relied on some of the emojis that had been sent, including a chipmunk emoji, uh, to indicate that the parties intended to rent the premises. Mm-hmm. When the party backed out the landlord argued that they had detrimentally relied on this collection of emoji and the comments that were made. And the court found in the landlord's favor that actually this collection of emoji indicated positive intent for the individual to actually rent the property. And so we're seeing that emoji may come into play in everything from contract formation to traditional criminal intent and everything in between. Interesting. Now, with respect to evidence, um, is it difficult to collect emoji evidence? And what trends are you seeing uh, developing? Sure. So traditionally, we didn't have means of collecting emoji evidence. And fortunately, we now have a lot of innovative companies who have wised up to the fact that this is where evidence is going in the future. Uh, One of those companies is Boxer Analytics, and they've created a platform that allows individuals to collect emoji-based evidence, uh, traditionally coming, of course, from uh, cell phones, and being able to search through your data sets based on certain emojis. So, for example, if you were looking for some sort of devious intent and you wanted to look up the smirk emoji, you have the ability to do that now. Uh, Again, this is something that's in the process of being developed, and as we've seen in a lot of cases and as we see on a day-to-day basis, different platforms show emoji differently. So there's a lot of intricacy that goes into developing these technologies. So for example, if you were to send a pistol emoji on an Android-based phone, that would show up as a water gun uh, emoji on an Apple-based operating system. Hmm. So there's a lot to work through as we're trying to figure out how we collect this data. And as the technology evolves, it's very likely that those are going to be options to allow attorneys to search through the data sets based on um, both the receiver and the sender and how they saw the emoji represented. Now, I understand you recently wrote an article on emojis. Where was that published and can listeners uh, get a hold of it online? 
Sure. So um, I have one article that was I wrote last year on, on Inside Council and kind of gives an analysis of what you need to think about as in-house counsel if your company uses emoji generally. A lot of our new platforms we use to collaborate, such as Slack, involve emoji and what you should keep in mind. Um, so that's on Inside Council. You can also check out Eric Goldman's uh, internet law blog, and he and I both did an analysis on that uh, Israeli judge case that just recently came down. And so um, Eric Goldman is my former professor at Santa Clara, an outstanding scholar, and has actually also written a piece, um, kind of a descriptive sense of where we are right now with emoji law. It's a really good survey, and you can find that on SSRN. Interesting. Now, let's talk about courts and juries. Um, how, how are they using emojis, and what should we consider as we go forward? You know, because these things are developing pretty quickly. Absolutely. So to date, I have not seen, I don't believe there has been a real jury case involving emoji as evidence. However, going forward, as a litigant, you want to be concerned in how you build a case and what the jury is going to see and how you pick your jury. Because as we had mentioned before, certain emoji carry a certain meaning amongst whether it be certain groups within um, a certain part of the country, it could be a certain family group or a certain gender race. So being very mindful of what those secondary meanings might be and ensuring that you are cognizant of that as you're building your case and also learning what that uh, community, whether it be the person who sent the emoji, what they meant when they sent it, perhaps. Um, one example I like to use, if there's ever a conspiracy case, I foresee this being an issue, you may have co-conspirators coming up with a secret language. Um, perhaps they say, hey, the unicorn actually means go ahead and, you know, rob the bank. Um, so really having to take that extra step to build your factual record, because at the end of the day, if you only have emoji evidence and you're seeking to admit it, the opposing side is very likely going to object and say, hey, this emoji is actually going to be very prohibitive uh, against my client. It's potentially going to, to take the jurors in a place that they shouldn't be. It's going to be misleading. And they may be able to raise um, an evidentiary objection that the court will sustain. So if you have a strong record that shows there is reason to have this particular evidence in the case, um, and that's actually probative of a particular issue in the case, you're more likely to get it admitted. So I think it's going to push folks to be much more careful litigators so that they can tell the full story and really show the picture in front of the jury. Mm-hmm. And what about experts? I mean, would there be a need for, let's say, an emoji expert? At this point, yes, I think there would be. But the question that a lot of scholars are throwing around right now is, who would that person be? Would they be an individual who is well-versed in technology and nonverbal behavior? Would it be someone who, you know, would you need multiple experts, just someone to testify to confirm that, for example, a certain operating system, let's say you hadn't updated your phone, and uh, the old Apple operating system used to have um, an actual pistol, to go back to that other example, used to have an actual pistol come up as the emoji versus if you had upgraded to the new version, then came the, the water gun. So mm -hmm. maybe you need to set a foundation having an expert testifying the technology side and then a person t uh, testifying to, you know, the perception of what that emoji might mean. And so, you know, this is going to be something we're going to have to work through to see who that emoji expert truly would be. Um, and it would need to be someone who is well-versed on both the receiver's end and uh, the sender's end if there's a technological difference. And so it'll be really interesting to see who we choose to be a true emoji or maybe a nonverbal uh, technology communications expert to really be able to testify to a jury. Yeah, that's certainly going to be a developing field and very fascinating. Uh, let's switch gears over to IP, being this is IP Fridays. Um, I want to talk about copyrights, trademarks, and then maybe on to uh, rights of publicity and other issues. First on copyrights, what, what are some of the copyright issues that you see coming out 
of emojis and other non-traditional communications? Sure. So with emoji, we do have the Unicode. And the Unicode is the standard set of emoji um, that are to be provided and made available to the various platforms. And usually, you're able to use the Unicode version relatively freely. They have um, terms on their website. Um, and then folks will also take the Unicode version of an emoji, and sometimes they'll create uh, a freely licensable version of an emoji that people, if they want to go ahead and, you know, integrate it into their platform or onto their website, uh, they have that free license to do so. However, there is a lot of design and effort that goes into creating what we're used to seeing on our own phones. So the uh, Apple emoji, the Android-based emoji, traditionally those are going to be the ones you need, you'll need to seek permission from Apple or from Google or the like to get those permissions to go ahead and reproduce those. And a lot mm-hmm. of times, you know, I'm sure you all have seen there's actually a lot of emoji merchandise Definitely. That's popping up. Yes. And I mean, I was at, I was actually recently abroad in Europe and you saw that they were everywhere. I mean, emoji pillows, emoji dresses, emoji everything. Yes. And it does beg the question, are folks aware that those aren't free to use? I think a lot of people have a misconception that, oh, well, it appears on my phone. I must be able to reproduce it. Uh, so being very mindful that if it comes... If it's not the Unicode version and it's coming from a particular provider of your operating system, it's probably protected by copyright and you want to be careful uh, before you start building merch or having an Etsy store that's perhaps dedicated to that particular uh, emoji print. So keeping that in mind going forward. Yeah, I could see a lot of derivative work issues um, coming out of out of those types of products that are coming out. Absolutely. And I think a lot of folks are trying to figure out, too, where do they draw the line on, say, a Bitmoji, where you created a version of yourself um, in, you know, emoji form, and you put a little bit of your own creative effort into it, even though the tools are provided by the company. And I think, you know, we haven't seen that crossover happen yet. But as people are continuing to add on and, and maybe create a derivative work of an original base emoji, what does that mean? Um, and what do the terms of service say on some of these uh, these applications? And I think that's going to be very important in deciding who owns what. Mm-hmm. What about on trademarks? What types of things are you seeing? So actually, uh, we are seeing folks are filing some trademarks on emoji. I believe there was a recent matter where um, the rock sun symbol, they were looking to trademark that, uh, which is also an emoji now. And so, you know, folks are seeing it as a source identifier. But I do mm-hmm. think we are going to run into similar issues that we did with normal marks where, you know, if I was an Apple company and I wanted to go ahead and trademark the Apple emoji, it's still going to be descriptive. Um, but it'll be interesting, I think, to watch those rejections or those conversations back and forth with the USPTO, because, again, we're going to see folks putting their own subjective spin on what they think a particular emoji means. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll be fun to watch the docket on some of those. And Eric uh, Golden, also on his blog, has been kind of tracking what's been posted recently. Um, but we even see some big companies who want to include an emoji, perhaps, in one of their original uh, trademarks. So I think people are wising up to the fact that these are important. Uh, people are using these to communicate. And um, it might be wise to include it as a, as a brand identifier. But with that caveat of the Unicode is always updating um, the available set of emoji. And, it, you know, what, again, back to the copyright question, what are you incorporating? Have you created your own version of the emoji? Have you licensed the rights to the Apple version of the smirk face? You know, what are, where do we draw that line? It's a very intricate IP web um, as we get into the trademark conversation. Yeah. Now, what about with respect to rights of publicity? I understand there's something called a celebrity emoji. What is a celebrity emoji? Mm-hmm. So I can't say this definitively, but I'll say from my own personal experience of seeing these come up, one of the first set of celebrity emojis uh, that came about and were very popular were the Kim emoji by Kim Kardashian. And it's a selection of emoji, essentially, that she's created. So again, high creative value here uh, would be something you could freely duplicate. And uh, she started selling them online. You could download the app and in 
integrate them into your daily messaging. Mm-hmm. And she's actually built an entire empire out of it. She has a website where she actually is now selling products with the very unique emoji on them. So everything from t-shirts to pool floaties and making good money off them. I think the pool floaties go, someone told me for $90. Um, so, you know, knowing that they can bank on this. And um, so not only has she gotten into this game, but I believe um, uh, Black China did as well as a couple rappers now have versions of their own celebrity emojis and folks are, you know, they're monetizing that. They know that they can get this special keyboard um, for one ninety nine, but, you know, they have full rights in them. So people are really banking on these custom emoji and realizing that as a society, whereas we used to be in the 140 character zone, um, very limited in our conversation, then we got full keyboards. Now the pendulum swings back to more of a shortened form of communication where we're using just pictures to, you know, emote and to explain how we feel. So I think people are really banking on this. Just a little bit more before we close out our interview, uh, Gabriella. I'm interested in uh, emoji fraud. Um, can you elaborate on that for our listeners? Sure. So, you know, we are entering a gray area, a very dangerous area, where a lot of not only are we choosing to use emoji, and as I'd mentioned before, we're, you know, co conspirators come up with a secret emoji language, but, you know, people are on their apps being encouraged. Uh, to use emoji. And when I say encouraged, I mean our technology, for example, Apple's uh, operating system has predictive texting. And so um, if you enter the word slap uh, versus high, you get the same emoji. And a lot of people, first and foremost, might be able to use it as a defense in a litigation. Let's say you're in a domestic abuse case. There may be an alibi saying, hey, I didn't mean I hit so-and-so. This was actually just the high emoji that was suggested to me by Apple. Um, So, you know, trying to get around potential causes of action by relying on an emoji alibi. Um, In terms of of fraud, uh, true fraud, you know, um, some conversation has come up around the use of Venmo. And Venmo is very emoji heavy. For those who don't know what Venmo is, it is an application that allows you to transfer money from your bank account to someone else's bank account. So let's say y'all go out for dinner, you can send $10 to your friend for your part of the bill. Um, But now when you enter in what you're paying for, a lot of times you will get a selection of emoji that you can use instead of words. Um, Venmo has relied on that. Uh, And so people, I mean, even banks now, we have um, Capital One has a new service where you enter in literally the bag of money emoji and you get the status of your account. And so as technology is pushing us to use emoji, um, you know, people can easily hide behind them. So for example, on the Venmo example, there is a discussion of could people easily put up certain emoji to indicate what they quote unquote paid for, uh, but maybe paying for illicit services or be gambling or doing things um, that later on down the road, let's say you're in anything from a divorce proceedings to an actual investigation, you may have some defensible allegations based on emoji saying, well, of course, I didn't do blank. I didn't, you know, engage in these fraudulent activities. I was just paying so-and-so for ramen. It's a bowl of ramen when really that was code for I'm paying you for something very bad. So, you know, we're opening up a can of worms, and I don't think we're going to understand the true scope of what emoji can get us and get us out of, um, but also get us into um, until we have some more recent cases coming up where most of the evidence is emoji based, but it'll be fascinating to watch. Definitely fascinating. Gabriella, do you have a favorite emoji? Oh my goodness, I do. And, <laughs> and it is the dancing, the, I actually have a t-shirt with this applique of this particular emoji. It's the dancing girl emoji in the red dress. Because I personally love salsa dancing, but I think she's just so fabulous. And if you're going to pick an emoji, why not pick the most fabulous one possible? That's my favorite. How about you? Excellent. Well, I like all the various iterations of smiley faces. I think there's just so many out there. And (laughs) and then they're great to, you know, 
add a little flair to uh, your communications. Absolutely. Well, Gabriella, thanks for joining us today on IP Fridays. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com slash love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com slash feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com slash iTunes, and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast, or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.